bomb <laughs> edition of Spin Cycle. I had a few options this week because there was the wall. When is the wall not a wall? Yeah, well, you can always pay the C word so <laughs> <laughs> to rebrand. Uh, broadcasting for the unceded uh, lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation uh, always was, always will be, as always. I'm Jess Lillia and in the studio with the H journalist Najma Sambul. She's back. Back in the house. It feels so good. Yeah? Yeah. I can, oh, we've missed you. You know what? It's weird hearing my voice like back in my ear. <laughs> I know. You were a little unpractised. You were just literally 30 seconds ago sitting in a chair very far away from a microphone, yeah. well, chilling out. <laughs> and uh, for listeners, I'm literally wearing the weirdest outfit. I'm wearing Lululemon yoga pants, thongs, and like a work shirt. It's this a- is what working, working from home does for your style, your personal style. I kind of love it. Um, as, as always on Spin Cycle, for the next hour, we will turn our attention to the stories that have made the media um, that have kind of piqued our interest or maybe made us wonder, WTF. And in about 15 minutes, we're going to be talking to Guardian reporter Ben Doherty uh, about the incredible podcast launched this week by Guardian Full Story called Ben Roberts Smith versus or V the Media. And it is an absolute uh, journey, <laughs> that podcast. <laughs> it is incredible. So um, that will be coming up soon. Uh I do have to issue an apology before we go any further. Towards the end of last week's show, Charlie and Samaya and I were um, having a little joke, a little giggle at the expense of Melburnians, overreacting to um, uh, weather incidents. And, well, we weren't we wrong. Yeah, because the very next morning uh, my suburb was pretty much cut off (laughs) from the city and I was standing on the banks of the Maribyrnong River uh, looking at it uh, like I'd never seen it before. Yeah, I wasn't there for that segment. (laughs) (laughs) So I am truly sorry. Um, And for anyone who was affected by the flood events, whether in Melbourne or out and um, out in the regions last week, um, I hope you're doing okay and um, that it is, you know, that you've got some support and help rebuilding because, yeah, seeing some of the um, results were pretty would be pretty traumatic living through that. Yeah. Um, now, Najma, you haven't been with us for a while because you've been on a bit of a hectic round at the yes. age, the sports round. <laughs> you managed to um, take in a few of uh, the country's biggest sporting events whilst on that round. And I think one thing you need to tell us about, it might, might feel like a very distant memory um, for a lot of people, the AFL Grand Final, but I didn't matter how long you, it was going to take before you came in here, I was going to ask you about that trip. That trip. <laughs> I mean, the story, like imagine getting that brief. Uh, you're covering the bus ride of the Collingwood football fans up to Sydney for the preliminary final. Yes, and it leaves at, from Southern Cross at 1am. <laughs> Tell us what that was like. 
Oh, my God. I Riding think, with the Collingwood cheer squad. Oh, they were just like, obviously it was quite daunting because you're, you're, you, it's a 10-hour journey. I've always sworn that I was never, ever going to drive to Sydney under any circumstances. <laughs> and so, obviously, I found myself in new circumstances. Um, and obviously, like, Collingwood had been doing really well in the finals. And so, you know, like, the flights were crazy prices and, you know, the fans had kind of rallied and booked out five buses, so about 300 of them across five My buses, goodness. you know, rocked up at, um, at Southern Cross, Collingwood Gear, 1am, and, yeah, we all got on the bus. What, and were your, what were your feelings before you got on the bus? Like, what am I doing? What, how, what were you thinking? Oh, I think I was thinking, how can I survive this? Like, <laughs> genuinely, because it was like yeah. 10 hours. That's yeah. like, that's almost to Dubai by plane. That's a long time. And then on a bus. Yeah. And then no like escape. 1 a.m. on a, fr- like, going into a Friday, like, or actually going to Saturday. So that's like a Friday night. So, you know, people could have been quite rowdy. They could mm. have already been, you know, stumbling out of a of pub. That, yeah. And into the bus. So you'd oh, think, though, you were with like Cheer Squad and stuff. You'd think they take it pretty seriously, though, yeah, don't they? Yeah. And the organizers were really good. Um, and I'd spoke to them beforehand. And yeah. So, you know, leaving, it was really great. There was such a kind of like eclectic mix of fans, you know, from like those diehard cheer squad types, you know, the real kind of, you know, real Aussie, you know, Collingwood supporter to the organisers who were Lebanese. Yeah. So and then you had like the younger supporters, some people from the country. Um, there was one woman, Jody, who'd come all the way from Kargoolie, WA um, what? just to be on that bus and she told me she could have um, afforded to, you know, change her flight um, to Sydney but she was like she wanted to be with, you know, her people. She wanted to be with fellow Collingwood supporters wow. and, um, you know, her during COVID her father, she was in um, she was in WA and her father had unfortunately passed and his ashes were still in the funeral parlour and so she made a promise that, she said, you know, Dad, if you get us, if you get Collingwood, because he was obviously a Collingwood supporter, if you get us to, you know, the just the final series, um, I'm going to take you out of the funeral parlour and take you to one of the games. And oh, that's so It touching. was beautiful. And then um, obviously... So he was on the bus too then, was he? No, the Ashes were not on the bus because Jody had gotten really confident with how Collingwood was was doing Uh and thought, I'm going to take it to the grand final. Oh, no. Jody. So, um, yeah, so. Shame. The bus back would have been another story. You managed to avoid that. Yeah, that was was not for me. (laughs) (laughs) One way way only for that. Yeah, and so, you know, you talk to the most interesting people and I guess the thing about covering sport is that it's something that, you know, talking to – I did a lot of fan stories throughout that kind of period. You know, it really is something that takes people out of, you know, the mundane routine of life, out of that nine-to-five grind and, you know, and really does kind of unite people and it does spark a sort of, um, you know – kind of effervescent type of passion in people um, and a sense at the of games. belonging to and a hundred percent community so you wouldn't have been to many AFL games before my first AFL game was actually maybe a month before I even got on the round um I'm a bulldog supporter just by living in the west but um yeah a few of the bigger games were kind of like my introduction into yeah. AFL properly and did you like it 
I actually did, but my brother said something to me, like my brother and I watched the grand finals together and he said to me, it's only the finals, we're a soccer house. And I literally <laughs> said, no, you're wrong. We're going to watch AFL like as soon as it kicks off round one next year. And he's like, when you start to realise it's so long until finals, yeah. you might just lose a bit of steam. So I was like, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, maybe he's not wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really good. It's not like watching um, the finals. Yeah. No, or like, you know, Premier League football over in the UK. Or yeah. It's a different sort of energy, that's for sure. Yeah. I think you kind of have to be into it. Yeah. yeah 100%. It's an on in the background kind of. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, what, yeah. what the fuck are you and talking about this for? Yeah. And I guess like the whole. You know, there were conversations had on the bus. You know, I got really comfortable with a lot of people there and, you know, we had a, a good rapport. There was a bit of banter. People would call me the journalist and just like, you know, it'd be 3 a.m. on the Hume and you just randomly hear someone go, up the pies, and you're just <laughs> like, it's 3 a.m. <laughs> like, give it a rest. And, um, you know, the chants all the time. Did the like, energy stay or by the by the ninth hour was there everyone a, few, a bit quiet? There were a few characters who kept that energy going um which was good you know because the sun's like the sun came up as well At around 5am you saw like the cars drive past with collingwood scarves you kind of like oh, flapping wow. in the wind and so it would only amp those characters up and then people were just kind of like you know what we're all on a bus going to go watch you know collingwood play this really tough match come on up the pies and they would just all just start like you know to build up it was yeah. a real kind of um camaraderie with them and yeah there was obviously um a conversation at the back of the bus where all of the young kind of um supporters were and there was a conversation about uh Eddie Maguire and a lot of people had expressed that they really loved what he where he had brought the club uh which is undeniable you know he obviously turned around that club at as president and stuff so but um then there was a conversation <laughs> that was had about um Heritia Lumumba oh. and you know people were just kind of refuting any of his claims and that would have um, been a bit challenging that was challenging for me for sure um yeah. you know but i think at the same time... It was, That's where the one-eyed support kicks in sometimes. A hundred percent. But I think it's also a matter of just, you know, just reminding people that would you, like, say everything bad that's happening at your workplace while you're still working there? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just not really, like, fair to put on people and, you know, you consider other things and... Like I this remember, is the thing that brings you joy yeah. and enriches your life. Um, you don't want to You know, be... I was watching um, Grace Tame a few weeks back and she spoke about how trauma grows with you. And, you know, that's such, you know, and it kind of was like a bit of a light bulb moment for me watching her speak on that because it's so true. Trauma grows and becomes far more, it becomes sophisticated as you become older. Like there are incidents in my life where, you know, I've been victimised and racialized, and, you know, you grow up and you're like, oh, my God, you know, mm. it all kind of hits you. And, you know, this trauma, and I think people don't understand that mm. um, and it probably should be spoken about more. And it's, yeah, it's definitely like something that people don't consider when their emotions are running high and when they feel like they need to protect um, the their institution. Club. Yeah, the club's they can dismiss, kind of branding. It's easier to dismiss Lumumba yeah. than it is to question. Yeah. yeah, and I think there was an interesting conversation I had with one of the supporters and um, I said to him, John, mate, what's your opinion on it? He was quite quiet um, about it and he just turned around and said to me, we were at a truck stop, it was pretty late, <laughs> he turned around and he's like, Najma, look, every club has their try-harder report. And I'm like... <laughs> 
John, you mean to do better report? And he's like, and then he just, we kind of looked at each other and just laughed. And he was Try like, and you know what? It, it, it's all to be called that in a way, it too, really right? Should. It really should. And obviously, just try and then obviously, like, you know, just only weeks later, the bombshell oh, allegations Hawthorne. against Hawthorne. And mm. it's like, you know what? If you go it's, this digging, this problem is not going to go away. Yeah, it's not going to go away until it's properly addressed. Yeah, and it's obviously like a societal issue as well, and, and it's and institutional. The, the AFL, even watching their response to the yeah. Hawthorne revelations. Yeah, hundred percent. God, what an interesting experience. Yeah, it really was. But I think you know, at the end, like it kind of, it's good to see the mixture of fans and be able to really chat with people yeah. in that way and just kind of um, get to know their stories and some people talking about like how, you know, the cheer squad has become such a big part of their life and that they um, really missed it during COVID. And yeah. I think like it was just such a – I won't forget it. It was just such a memorable trip to do and the game was so good. Like yeah. it was such a great game yeah. and they lost yeah, by was. one point. I know. And it was so devastating but it was really good for that Sydney. That was probably the most exciting game for the rest of the – Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was such a – probably like a really good experience I would mm. say. So if you ever get the opportunity <laughs> to go on a Collingwood well, fair bus. You'd, you'd want to be employed to do it. <laughs> Most definitely. Um, Ben Doherty is uh, on the line. He is an international affairs correspondent at The Guardian Australia and former foreign correspondent across the Asia Pacific. His work focuses on human rights and humanitarian issues, uh, forced migration and asylum. Ben has won three Walkley Awards for his reporting as well as three United Nations Association Media Peace Prizes. Ben is a fellow of the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at Oxford. And as if that wasn't enough, Ben is a former professional (laughs) AFL footballer with the Brisbane Lions and the Melbourne Demons and the author of a goddamn novel. Nagaland, uh, a love story from modern India. Ben, you put us all to shame. But um, this week, the thing we want to talk about is uh, this week Ben launched the Guardian Full Story podcast, uh, Ben Robert Smith versus the Media, um, which is just a phenomenal piece of audio work. Ben, welcome to Triple R. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for that not always germane introduction, but I'm grateful. <laughs> I loved it. I had to include it all. Uh, I, I missed out the bit, the, the bit where you went to the um, Conservatory of Music. I'm like, no, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> um, I think um, the, I mean, the case um, Ben Robert Smith versus the media is a phenomenal case as it stands. It would be great if you could just give us a little bit of a rundown for listeners. Um, you know, what is the case and how did it come about? Look, it is, it is a very complicated case and, and, and I suppose that was kind of the rationale for doing this podcast in the way we did it and we, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but the idea of this podcast was to take listeners into the courtroom in, in, in a sense to get a sense of the sort of drama and pathos of this quite extraordinary but very long-running and very complex trial. Ben Robert Smith... Um, is a very decorated, he's the most decorated Australian living soldier. He's a recipient of the Victoria Cross uh, and he was an SAS uh, corporal. Uh, He served multiple deployments to Afghanistan, um, winning the Victoria Cross. Obviously, this is a very esteemed honour and basically made him a household name. He was the most famous soldier and is, you would argue, the most famous soldier in Australia. In 2018, a series of articles were published um, and those articles have continued alleging 
uh, war crimes have been committed by Ben Robert Smith, including murder on, uh, on, in, in, of unarmed civilians. Um, these were quite detailed, um, quite extraordinary allegations certainly made against anybody, but, it, but in particular against um, uh, a, a, a public figure in this way. Um, ben Robert Smith, and I want to be, be very clear here, Ben Robert Smith denies all wrongdoing. He, he, he says these allegations against him of murder and of bullying and of an act of domestic violence, which is another allegation mm. against him, are not true. They are fabrications and they've been fabricated by people who are seeking to, to tear down his reputation. He has then taken uh, those allegations to the federal court and he is suing for defamation in the federal court. He's, three, he's suing three Australian newspapers, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Age and the Canberra Times for defamation. So that's the background that gets us to the courthouse steps. Yes. This, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, and the podcast is truly incredible in the sense that obviously um, there hasn't been a decision yet um, and um, so you have to be pretty careful in what you, you publish. But what you've done is pretty much reenact the trial, which is phenomenal. Um, it's, it's such an incredible... Um, way to kind of uh, intertwine the brutality of war, the legal process, um, the kind of real human stories in terms of, you know, witnesses of certain alleged incidents, uh, and then domestic violence comes into it as well. It's absolutely just mind-blowing listening. I think one of the things that has struck me is the contrast between, like, the incredibly dehumanising language of war... <clears throat> and the really raw emotional testimony of civilian witnesses. Like there's this language when anyone who, any any of the military or, you know, soldiers um, are giving their testimony, they talk about targets and threats and pups. And engagements. And yeah, engagements yeah, yeah. and dropping engagements, which is basically killing someone and, you know, KIA and spotters and it's they'd never use the language of death and destruction. Mm. What was it like sitting through that trial? Look, you're right. I mean, you've summed up a lot of that, the, the, the sort of dramatic evidence and, and, and the pathos um, and, um, and the, the extraordinary, you know, war brutalises everybody it touches, I, I think, and you really did get a sense of that. Um, uh, you know, there were more than 40 witnesses of this trial. As you say, it ran for a year. It's, it was incredibly complex and incredibly detailed. And, and you, did, you, you do start to, to sort of fall into the, the language and, and, and the jargon of... of of, of the military about you know targets and engagements and um, and you know and pucks and and which is a, a person under control essentially a prisoner um, all, and, and but but, the, but you do then contrast that with um, uh, what was happening in Ben Robert Smith's private life um, you know um, uh, around um, uh, an extramarital affair that that, that he was um, well, his uh, wife's testimony his uh, his his ex-wife testified, and the and um, and uh, sort of talking about the, rape, the you know the emotion of the breakdown of their marriage and and um, and their their family life. You also got a real sense of how damaging war has been for so many people who are involved in it. You know, mm. there were there were these SAS operators who would talk about going on six, going on eight, going on twelve deployments to Afghanistan, um, and the mental health struggles they face coming back. The sense of dislocation and abandonment when they've when they've when they've left the military you know the, the real damage that is done by people and I, I think that what this trial's also done the, you know the, the trial is a defamation trial about about these allegations made against one specific soldier but it's also shone this glaring and oftentimes very unflattering light on the broader question of Australia's prosecution of this war in Afghanistan um, who was making the decisions to send these men back time and time again to the 
to the sharp end of this dirty, dangerous, difficult war and and the brutalising and dehumanising effects that that, 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 that that has had on so many people. I mean, you really got a sense from this trial that everybody this conflict touched suffered on the Afghanistan on the Afghan side on the on the Australian side it is just it is just wreaked havoc in so many lives um, and that's been exposed you know in a brutal way in this trial absolutely and what one of the most kind of I thought heartbreaking and um, sort of um you know, sections of the podcast was the testimony of three Afghan witnesses to the alleged murder of Ali Jan, who they said, um, you know, was uh, who was sort of, you know, positioned by Ben Robert Smith legal team as an insurgent or, mm. or, or even a mistaken identity. Um, and they said, no, they, they witnessed, um, you know, their friend who was had nothing to do with, you know, he's not Taliban yeah. being murdered. And their testimony was just heartbreaking compared to, like I was saying, like that very dehumanising and very, very, mm. you know, masculine, brutal war testimony. Um, what yeah. was that like, experiencing that cross from Afghanistan? I, I, I mean... Yeah, look, it, it was it was extraordinary that we got to hear from them at all. I, I think just a yeah. little bit of background for your listeners. This is one of the the key allegations that's been made against Ben Robert Smith is that in a village called Dawan in 2012, there was a man taken prisoner. Uh, he was he was stood in handcuffs on the edge of a, of a cliff, and Ben Robert Smith then kicked him off that cliff and then ordered a subordinate to shoot him dead. Um, again, I'm going to stress this, Ben Robert Smith denies this ever happened. He says that's a fabrication. It never happened. Um, and he says the man who was killed that day was a man discovered in a cornfield hiding, holding a radio, and he was an insurgent and a legitimate target who was lawfully killed. That's the allegation that's been made, and that's what we heard in court, those two very different versions of, of accounts of what happened. But in, in, but hearing the evidence from Afghanistan really was quite extraordinary. So, so, so three men who lived in the village of Darwan or were in the village of Darwan that day gave their accounts of what they what they saw and what they did. Um, they they gave evidence and they they gave evidence of being um, uh, taken into custody by the Australian troops, being handcuffed, being interrogated, and they gave evidence of seeing uh, their friend and relative, um, a man they called Ali Jan, who lived in a neighbouring village. Um, and, it, and was just visiting Darwin that day, being kicked off the cliff and then executed. That was the evidence uh, that they gave. And the fact that we got to hear from them was quite extraordinary. It was in the, they, they were they were set to give evidence much later in the trial, but it was brought forward because the US had announced finally a date for its withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, and there was a very narrow window in which it was safe enough to be able to get evidence from them. They would wake up at 4.30 in the morning in Afghanistan to appear via video link beamed into a court in Australia on the other side of the world, which I imagine must have been incredibly discombobulating from them, this sort of very arcane and strange legal process in a, in a foreign land, asking questions about an alleged murder that happened a decade ago in their village. Um, it was quite extraordinary to hear their, um, to hear their evidence, but also... Um, as you say, the emotive nature of their evidence. One mm. of the one of the witnesses at the end, you know, sort of stood up and, and almost sort of yelled down the camera. He was a labourer. There was a debate about whether Ali Jan was a member of, of the Taliban, whether he was an insurgent. He was saying he wasn't. He was a labourer. He was a labourer. He was screaming or almost yelling down the mm. camera. He was a labourer. The, the sort of the passion that came out. Um, this was not a trial that that, that, that lacked for, uh, for 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 drama and and, and extraordinary yeah. moments, and that, and that was certainly one of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, hi Ben, Najma here. Thanks for coming on. Um, 
I think for a lot of us, like, trying to keep... Well, when the trial was happening, trying to keep up, it just felt like there was a lot of, you know, you know, little things being kind of, you know, reported and... It's just a bombshell yeah, after bombshell. Yeah, bombshell. But I heard there was... Um, at one point, there was, like, a dispute over whether there was a cliff in the first place and whether it was just apparently a grassy knoll. Um, can you talk listeners through that and whether there's there's kind of any truth to that or where it's up to now with that? Look, yeah, so, so that, that, I mean, the allegations of Darwin, again, were, were, were sort of key part of the trial and dominated days of evidence. And again, to stress, Ben Robert-Smith denies all wrongdoing uh, and, and uh, he, he gave testimony supported by a, another soldier that, that the, the soldiers were leaving Darwin and they, they walked up a small embankment into a cornfield where they saw this man who was holding a radio... Um, the, the, these people are known as spotters and basically their job is to sort of report where foreign soldiers are so they can be attacked by their insurgents. If he's doing that, he's a legitimate engagement and he was lawfully killed. There was significant debate, as you say, about what makes a cliff, what's a, and, and, you know, there was sort of this semantic argument about mm. a steep incline, about a cliff, about um, an embankment, or, you know, all of this sort of language about about what what there was. Um, we did see pictures in the trial of um, of the riverbank um, and showing its height and its its um, and, uh, and 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 how steep it was. And uh, people, you know, witnesses were asked to mark on the um, on the documents where they where they alleged they saw Ali Jan standing. So that, that what would the average the person who would see that photo deduce from that? Would they be like, "That's a cliff"? Like, look. I mean, I don't want to speak for anybody else. I also want to be very careful in the way I kind yeah. of answer that. Yeah. These are not decisions for me to make. No. I'm, yeah. my, my, my job as a reporter is to report fairly and accurately. This is a very serious trial. These are very serious allegations and, and a consequential trial. And so, yeah. um, you know, Ben Robert-Smith is entitled to, to mount a, a, a defamation case if he feels he's been mm. um, unfairly and falsely accused and, and his reputation's been defamed. That will be a decision. Which version of events? Uh, is will be a decision for the judge, uh, Justice Anthony Basanko, uh, to make, um, and and that's that's really not for me to say whether I think it's a cliff or an embankment or a steep incline or or, or any of that. Yeah, so of that, that's before the court, um, and 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 that is rightly um, the decision for the, a decision for the judge. And that judge, boy, do they have, does he have his work cut out for him? Because it is like listening to it's a real and excuse pardon my French mind fuck listening to each episode because really um, the the. The cases or the story, I guess, the case that's been brought by both sides is full of detail and couldn't be more opposite in terms of who's telling the truth, you know. And yeah. something that I, I, I was just really interested to know, how do you approach putting a podcast like this together? A shout-out to one of the producers, Triple R alum, Camilla Hannon, who I noticed has yeah. been part of the team. Been magnificent, yeah. Yeah, at one yeah. point, you know, it's part, it's part of Full Story, which is a, a great um, daily um, current affairs podcast at The Guardian. You know, why why this trial? What, why did you decide to approach it? And how did you decide to build this kind of narrative, mm. court narrative? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a, re- a really good question because it is something we haven't done before, and it's, it's it's not been done, you know, before very often in terms of you know uh, sort of recreating the trial, bringing in voice actors to, to recreate these key moments of the trial. 
Um, to go to go back a step, I was I was assigned to cover this case when it when it first came before the court in 2021, um, and you know I, I went to every day of, of the uh, of, of the hearing and, and and we covered it. I mean, we we really made a conscious decision at the start of the trial. This is a very serious trial, not only for Ben Robert Smith and the allegations and uh, uh, that they made against him, and not only for the newspapers who are defending their reporting as true. You know, we have issues around you know press freedom and investigative journalism and, 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 and all of those sorts of things to consider. We sort of decided to start. This is an important trial and a consequential trial. Mm. We're going to dedicate the time and resources to do it. So I, I spent you know all of that time. Um, reporting it for the Guardian um, in, in, you know, um, as best I could and, and in and as much depth as I could, and we got to the end of it, and we we thought, is there another way we can we can bring this to we we can tell this story in a you know rigor, rigorously journalistic way um, that explains uh, the complexity of this trial in, in a way that, that in, in a way that's that, that, that's accessible, and lots of people just like you, you mentioned before, had, had said to me, look, I tried to keep up with the, the Robert Smith trial, but it got really hard and really confusing. And, look, it, it wasn't helped by the fact that almost all of the witnesses, save for a handful, were anonymous, you know, person 41, person 43. Yeah. Person, uh, you know. So it was like, well, who's that? Who's that? You know, and it, and it really is, it really is, you know, um, and the operation of the military is very arcane and, and it was hard to follow. But we, we felt that by focusing on these key allegations and these key issues that we've chosen for these five episodes... We were able to recreate those really key moments in court so that people were able to to be in court, basically, to be sort of sitting beside me in court and hearing this evidence and hearing the back and forth, but having kind of... I've, I've uh, sort of ended up as, 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 as the narrator through this podcast, sort of sitting beside you saying, well, well this is what this is about and, and this is what this is and this relates to that evidence. Um, and so it really was an extraordinary amount of work and I have to give an enormous amount of credit. Um, I'm the kind of larynx at the front of it all, but there is a, there's, there's a team of sort of seven or eight of us mm. who really dedicated a lot of time to going through, you know, months worth of, you know, thousands of pages of court transcripts to say, well, this is really relevant, fun. we need this in. Um, uh, Ellen Lee Beater has, has, has sort of led the project and she's an extraordinary talent just in sort of bringing this to life. Yeah. Um, and we felt it was a really vital and good piece of journalism. We, 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 we're done pulling it together. I think the thing that has made it a really... Um, exceptional series, um, if you don't mind me. Mind me no, I, 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 um, I agree uh, this, on this occasion. Um, <laughs> is, is, the, uh, um, is uh, sort of recreating those court scenes, yeah, uh, bringing in voice actors to, 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 to recreate the evidence, to give the evidence, as it was said. I mean, you, you will have heard uh, yesterday the evidence from Emma Roberts, Ben Roberts, Smith's ex wife. Yeah, it was full on that episode. Um, you know, it's an extraordinarily emotionally and, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's really quite a brutal listen in times, uh, at, 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 at times. And I think that really brought it to light. And we're really careful about the casting and, you know, um, about, about how we rendered that evidence. We didn't want to be sensationalist or, or, or salacious or, or clickbaiting, but we wanted to relay the import of that of that of that evidence and the drama of that evidence you know even and how like, how frightening it is to be on the stand giving that evidence mm. i think that's what the actors have brought to it too you know the yeah. real the raw visceral emotion yeah. if you just yeah. tuned in it's 25 minutes away from eight you're listening to spin cycle on triple r and we are talking to guardian reporter ben doherty about the um phenomenal podcast ben robert smith versus the media i did want to ask about i know earlier on you were um uh 
making the point that, of course, um, Ben Roberts Smith denies all of these um, allegations. And mm. um, but this isn't the first time the allegations of war crimes have been levelled at the Australian Defence Forces um, around Afghanistan. And in fact, um, the Brereton inquiry, uh, the mm. report resulting from the Brereton Inquiry was delivered in 2020 and found evidence of 39 murders of civilians uh, and prisoners by or at the instruction of um, the Australian Special Forces. Um, And they uh, stated that there were 25 ADF personnel involved in those killings. If If those findings were brought down in... 2020, how come no charges have been brought or that, you know, we are now almost in a situation where, you know, this trial, a very separate trial, is kind of Mm. having to go through a lot of that again um, uh, to try and establish the veracity of some of these accusations, but there's already been this inquiry. Look, that, that, that's a really good point and you're, you're absolutely right to, to, to separate those two things out. These, these two things, while they, um, uh, they, they concern similar subject matter, are unrelated. This is uh-huh. a defamation trial brought by Ben Robert Smith yes. against the newspapers for allegations they've made. The Brereton Inquiry, you, you, you're right, was brought down at the end of 2020 after a, after a four-year inquiry and raised very serious issues, you know, credible evidence of, of 39 murders of Afghans committed by Australian Special Forces soldiers. That is a process that is still ongoing. The government has set up the Office of Special Investigator, which is looking at the potential to uh, to, uh, to lay criminal charges, and, and there is the possibility that that will happen. That is entirely separate to this matter here. But you do make a good point that it is all in the same discussion. Um, mm. We have an episode um, uh, coming out tomorrow uh, that features... Matt Collins, KC, Katie's KC now, but no, no, not a QC, who's the, who's the president of the Australian Bar Association, talking about the fact that, and, and lots of people have said this, that, that this Robert Smith defamation trial has become almost a sort of proxy war crimes tribunal. And, of course, it's not. And, 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 and Matt Collins' argument is that it's actually a, this, this is actually a very poor forum to be, to be sort of debating these issues and, and airing these issues. Like, these, these are more properly... Um, uh, litigated through um, uh, military, you know, tribunals or through through criminal courts and those sort of things. That process is happening separately. When and if if and when we see criminal charges, is will will sort of unfold in the um, in the in the fullness of time. Um, and again, just to stress that these are they, they are they are two. Yeah. Separate events. This yes. this, uh, this defamation trial is separate. Now you have called it Ben Robert Smith versus the media, but <clears throat> there is a slight media versus the media element to it as well. What is the role of Kerry Stokes in uh, in this um, I mean, trial? Yes, look, I think this has been very interesting. Again, the sort of broader context of this trial is also really important and very, very interesting. This is drawn in... I mean, we saw extraordinary scenes. We saw sitting ministers of the Crown. We saw the Assistant Minister of Defence, who was Andrew Hastie at the time, a former SAS officer, called to, to give, you know, subpoenaed to give evidence in, in, in this court. Um, we have uh, institutions like the Australian War Memorial drag in, you know, the mm. War Memorial hangs Ben Robert Smith's portrait on its walls. Um, uh, and we also have... Very clearly, um, yes, uh, the, the the influence of Kerry Stokes, who is the chairman of Seven West Media. He is Ben Robert Smith's employer. Um, ben Robert Smith works for Seven now, and has loaned, has given Ben Robert Smith a loan to fund this um, this defamation case. 
It also emerged that Channel 7 was paying for the lawyers of some of Ben, some of ben Robert Smith's witnesses. That was that was discovered in court. That was that was led in court. And then yeah. Channel 7 then pushed that debt on to Kerry Stokes' private company. So we are seeing these sort of broader institutional conflicts as well um, uh, sort of brought to bear. This this trial in its sort of in its scope and complexity has, has, has pulled in um, all of these external factors. And you, you can't ignore the fact that, that, that Kerry Stokes is the chairman of Seven West Media. Seven's largest competitor is Nine. And yeah, Nine exactly. Owns two of the, Nine owns two of the three newspapers who are, who are, uh, who are defending their reporting here. So there's all of that contextual background um, uh, to, to, to this matter as well. The stakes are high. That was my dumb joke for the day. <laughs> Over to you, Dash. Yeah, well, <laughs> nice entry into some lighter conversation. Um, ben, so obviously I'm just thinking, how does an AFL player get into journalism? I know it's a bit um, cliched, but... <laughs> um, look, I, I mean, um, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a, a footballer terribly long or terribly successfully. Um, mm. and I was two sort clubs, of, though. I was 22, yeah. yeah to uh, just so get into AFL is, is a feat. Um, uh, so I, my my footy finished up when I was about 22, I think, and um, and I literally went up the road to Bendigo where a mate was living and um, <laughs> and knocked on the door of the advertiser there and said I'm a new cadet because I were advertising for a cadet and they sort of laughed at me and said that's very funny <laughs> and I, I I stayed in town for a week and, and wrote a couple of stories just freelanced a couple of stories um, and made the paper a couple of times which was a big thrill and um, and I sort of went from there so I'm a little bit of sort of the um, Start I mean, regional. Are, yeah, it, it sort of, it sort of, who came through the kind of cadetship, you know, I, I didn't come through a journalism school and, and, and those sort of things and sort of found my way into journalism that way. I think I'd always had an interest in the media, though. Um, I grew up in a house that, that read newspapers, um, uh, you know, had been delivered went back uh, and, mm. um, and, you know, and, at 7 o'clock every night was the ABC News, you know, and so I'd, I'd, I'd grown up with a sense that, that the media had an important role to play and it was it was an important part of, of the fabric of your life and, and of, of societies and communities. Uh, my dad was an English teacher by profession and I suspect I got the kind of the writing thing from him. Um, and, yeah, I bounced from the Bendigo Advertiser to the Canberra Times, then to the Age and then the Guardian and back and forth a couple of times. And, yeah, I've been on the Guardian for, for a while now. Wow, that is um, – I wasn't expecting that. I thought you had um, – <coughs> I thought you were going to kind of go the – I fell into it. But I feel like you probably I know, I, had it in you somewhere from your dad, you know. I, I, yeah, I, I think so. And, like, you know, like like – I think a lot of good journalists, you kind of find your way in because you, you will yourself into it. You know, you, you kind of, the door doesn't get open for you. You kick it in sort of thing. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah that was my, that was my entrain to journalism. And, uh, uh, you know, full, yeah, full credit to Benny Advertiser for taking on this kind of, you know, rat bad bloke who just turned up. And that was an amazing training ground. It really was. It was, it was a brilliant place to learn journalism. What would your advice be to any young listeners who likewise um, want to get a start in or a career in journalism? It's a it's a very different landscape now, um, and you know how, how can how can young wannabe journo's mm. get into it these days? Yeah, look, it, it is a different landscape, and I, I've, I've been asked this a few times, and I, I've actually been reflecting in, in the last couple of years. I really do feel like things have turned around. I mean, I mean, for a lot of my career, it's felt like. I've worked in, in newsrooms that, that have, you know, like there's been sort of budgetary pressures and, and you know, we've, we've been sort of big layoffs in, in newsrooms and, and, you know, shrinking newsrooms and resources and those sort of things. And, and, and you know, um, uh, the, you know the, the sort of glory days were, were a bit before my time, but, you know, 
Um, I, I, I do feel like journalism has sort of turned a corner, um, and I'm happy for people to ring in and tell me I'm wrong in the last <laughs> eight months or two years. And it just feels, you know, we're seeing new organisations open up, we're seeing newsrooms expanding. Um, new we're, opportunities. We're people, yeah, new opportunities, people trying new ways of, 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 of telling stories. I mean, I've done a little bit of podcasting before. I've never done something like... Um, as involved as this, as this um, uh, Ben Robert Smith uh, podcast before. And it's been a real learning opportunity for me. Like, it, it's, it's expanded my journalistic horizons and I've found new ways to tell stories and reaching new audiences. So I'm actually really bullish. I'm really confident mm. about the future of journalism. Yeah. And we, well, I, I, see, I, I see young journalists coming into our newsroom and other newsrooms and I'm like, whoa. I would never get a job these days. Like, they are unbelievably talented. They're unbelievably credentialed. They're so good and, and so passionate. They can do Thanks. everything. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really uh, ebullient about the future of the industry. And I think, but I, I, I think the, the, the piece of advice I would, um, I would give to young journalists is to do it. I mean, yes, obviously, go study, uh, you know, do journalism courses, do well at university, always helps. Um, uh, but, but journalism, you know, like do journalism, write stories, write for your local paper, um, do internships. You know, there are paid internships in, in lots of news organisations and they should be paid, they should be accessible to everybody um, and, and, and get in, practice, practice, practice. You know, journalism, I, I find, is, is a craft that is learned and perfected by doing. So I would, I would urge you to write stories anywhere and, um, and, and everywhere you can. And there are great opportunities out there. Like, I would, yeah, I, as I say, it's, it's, it is a, a hugely... It, it's, an important, it's an important profession in democracies. It's an yeah. important profession for our world and society, and I would, I would encourage people into it. I would also encourage um, people from not, who not necessarily come through journalism schools, but people who come from law schools or from the public service or elsewhere. I often find really good journalists are people who come to journalism with other life experiences, mm, people yeah. who've done medicine, people who've done Definitely. law, people who've done... All, all sorts of stuff. People who haven't been to university, people who've got a trade, all of those sort of things, those different perspectives. Mm. I think journalism in Australia would benefit immensely from diversifying. And I know that's, a, that's been a conscious effort in our newsroom and lots of newsrooms, but people coming from other backgrounds, be they socioeconomic or cultural or language or religious, I think Australian journalism is at its best when it's when it's accurately reflecting the Australian community and the society it's supposed to serve. And I think... Less, um, less groupthink. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, I want to see the radical journalists and I, I want to see it being sort of less, yeah, you know, um, less, less homogenous. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Ben. We've been talking to Ben Doherty for, for, about his uh, amazing podcast that's out at the moment uh, on the guard with the Guardian, uh, uh, Ben Robert Smith versus the media. And one thing I'll say about the podcast, and and you were talking about, you know, this is a, bejo- be, a new kind of way to do news. It's I absolutely love news podcasts because of the extra level of. Um, atmosphere or experience that can come to a story like you actually feel like you are going through the emotions of a story rather than just reading it in print mm, and um, it's so accessible as well yeah, I feel like absolutely. to a lot of people I feel like people sometimes you know find it daunting to sit there and commit to maybe like a 5,000 word piece and to be able to just listen to it on the way um, yeah, to, to work, work yeah. walking um, while you're cooking while you're cleaning so Get on the Guardian Australia website, guys, or the app. (laughs) And that's why radio is great too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Ben. I can't wait to hear tomorrow's episode. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Independent Melbourne Radio 3RRR.
Nash, what the hell is going on at the bomb? You're not allowed to call it the bomb anymore. The bureau. I feel like we should have paid Shaggy's Mr. Bombastic. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) you know what? I feel like, um, so what's happened is, let me give like the quick rundown. So the Bureau of Meteorology Mm. have. Just the place, can I just say, least associated with drama you could ever imagine. Exactly. Well, you'd think up until this week. They decided, obviously, the floods had been happening and a lot of news reports were referring to them as their acronym, B-O-M, BOMB. They turned around and were like, we're no longer BOMB. We want to be referred to as the Bureau. So basically cease and desist. Yeah. Um, This is the new style guide. What's up? And then... There are a few more other things that happen after that, which you will then elaborate on, Jess. Cause, Thanks, Nasha. Yeah, I'll um, hand it to you. It, it was just funny the way, of course, you know, I, this is what's this is the kind of shit that Twitter is great for because <laughs> you, the snark levels were at eleven when the press release came out this week, uh, and that's all it was. There was no unveiling of a new logo, or you know. No real kind of logic for the name change. It was just a press release saying, uh, here forthwith. Yeah, we just started to change we, our name. We uh, will now be known as the Bureau. Please cease referring to us as the bomb. And so, of course, everyone's like, what the actual? Uh, and did a bit of digging. And it turned out it just gets so good. Um, a consultancy, uh, you know, a creative consultancy firm or agency known as The C Word... <laughs> Uh, was reportedly paid something around like two hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and to uh, to address this pressing issue of uh, people calling the bomb the bomb, which you know, it's uh, like that's what it is. That's an acronym. It's everyone yeah. knows that that is the Bureau of Meteorology. There are plenty of other bureaus around. Mm. So anyway, their recommendation kind of monopolised the bureau. Wow. Yeah, the C word uh, said. <laughs> <laughs> you should ha- handle this by just telling everyone to call you the bureau. Here's two hundred. Can I have two hundred twenty thousand dollars? And by the way, employ me. And so that's what they did. So it turns out that the guy who ran this consultancy, known as the C Word, is now employed as like the comms guy at the bureau. <laughs> of meteorology and there is a talent shortage in the world in so many areas so many fields so many industries when you see talent you get talent do you hear me miss lily well that guy has been tap dancing you know can't can't hate him for him for being snatched up scooped up for having talent if and if well if the c words website is anything to go by he wasn't planning on staying there for very long because it is literally this is the one that kills me it is literally a wordpress and it's Still has WordPress in the t- in the name, so it's like the c word dot wordpress dot com dot au. It's giving working from home. <laughs> but also the actual design of the website, which isn't a website, it's like one paragraph with one picture. It looks like some sort of old dot matrix printout or something. It's a uni assignment. It's a uni assignment and a terrible one. If you had, if you were first year graphic design and you produced that website, you would have failed RMIT <laughs> listen it's not hard to get through graphic design at RMIT apologies to anyone listening and they would have failed your ass for that website and then it turns out 
the guy who was the C word and is now uh, employed by the Bureau of Meteorology in their comms team, the only other two employees at the C word shared the same name as him. (laughs) (laughs) The same surname. So I don't know what's going on there. But it's a family affair. It's a family affair. Tanya Plibersek got involved just saying this is absolutely ridiculous. We're not calling them the Bureau. Everyone stand down. It's the bomb. Yeah. Um, but what a joy that has been this week on Twitter. You know what? It just reminds me of this one time and this is going to sound so bad and I don't know why I'm confessing to this out loud, but I feel like, (laughs) fuck it. Um, So in school, and I was really young, I was in grade four in primary school, I was really obsessed with the Harry Potter books as you were at that age and I had decided that the book had just simply gone missing and I would write my name on it and it was mine and I was never going to return it (laughs) to the library. It just reminds you of what bomb. Obviously, yes, I got caught, yes, and I had to. The, if you imagine the C word website is the Harry Potter book, exactly, and happened. you really try to let that slip past, and then guess what? I then whited out my name from it, and I gave it back to the library, and they said. Why are the plastic covers off of this Harry Potter book? And why we can see your name there still, Najma. And I'm like, oh. that wasn't me. And they're like, so, but look at it. Like you can, you didn't. White out doesn't get rid of the indentation. And I'm like, as a four year old, I was just like, oh shit, I don't know how I got caught. And that's bomb. That's bomb. That's exactly the kind Such of week that they have had. <laughs> I cannot wait for the next instalment. Oh, there is a next instalment. What am I talking about? Just before we came on air, this is the bit, the level of... It's gone, ratcheted up a level, the drama. I saw this uh, headline in The Guardian, which is bomb staff... See, The Guardian and I aren't even following the new (laughs) guidelines. Bomb staff allege rebranding debacle made toxic work culture even worse. Imagine. It's such an innocent old thing. (laughs) The Bureau of Meteorology and they have a toxic... Like, meteorologists are assholes. Who would have... I I wouldn't. Me too. Like, fair enough. Good job. Fair enough, Vic Rhodes and Centrelink. Like yeah. Bureau of Meteorology. No, seriously, that uh, I've got a great story about the Bureau of Meteorology. I used to go out with this guy, right? And <laughs> his, his confession hour, ladies' <laughs> night. <laughs> his sister was a forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. Their surname was Weatherhead. What? I'm not kidding you. And she had to ring Red Simons at seven seven four and do the deliver the forecast, saying, "I'm Gina Weatherhead with the weather." Wow. Yeah, you can imagine she changed her name Quit Smart when she got married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, it's two minutes to eight and got- we're losing the plot. Uh, well, it's a delight to have you back, Najma. I hope it's not um, so long between visits. What what round are you on next? I'm on breaking news. Oh, um, we won't be seeing you for a while then. Yeah. <laughs> Because breaking news, doesn't that mean you have to be kind of available all the time? How does that work? Oh, no. It's like you're obviously it's a pretty demanding gig. So you would be doing like morning shifts and then evening shifts. So just alternates depending on your roster. So, yeah. Well, hopefully you are back again very soon because we need to to have the whole (sighs) gang back in the house. Yeah. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Naj Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. 
You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this. <laughs> 